Hello, this is The Business, The Guardian's podcast where the credit crunch meets drum and bass. If only for a minute here at the start. Coming up this week, Tory big beasts, bulls and bears, and even a bit of sunshine. Three decades after the dawn of the Thatcher era, we'll turn the airways blue to find out where her successor, David Cameron, stands on economic policy. Plus, the rest of the world may be staring into the abyss, but the stock markets are riding high. Can it last? And... Phew, what a scorcher. As Britain gears up for a summer to be proud of, we ask whether there are equally sunny prospects for the high street. I'm Edith Chakraborty, and this is The Business from The Guardian. Joining me in the studio for this, our triumphant fifth outing in the podosphere, is Dan Roberts, The Guardian's head of business. Did you get much of a bank holiday, Dan? Oh, yeah. Well, I had the sunshine and, um, and uh, saw a few green shoots and uh, everybody was out and about spending money. So I thought my, my, uh, my glass half full view of the world is getting reinforced. Niels Prattley is our man with his eyes peeled to the markets. Nice to have you here for your first time, Niels. Thank you, Dijon. And Heather Stewart is the Observer's Economics Editor. Welcome back, Heather. And I hope you're fully recovered after your trip to Washington. I certainly am. Thanks very much. Yeah. Pleasure to have you all here. And there's plenty to talk about this week. So let's start with a little bit of politics. Where there is discord, may we bring harmony. Where there is error, may we bring truth. Where there is doubt, may we bring faith. And where there is despair, may we bring hope. And to all the British people, howsoever they voted, may I say this, now that the election is over, may we get together and strive to serve and strengthen the country of which we are so proud to be a part. That's Margaret Thatcher, of course. And to misquote the Beatles, it was 30 years ago today that the Iron Lady entered Downing Street and changed the face of British politics and economics forever. It's a sort of quip current Conservative leader David Cameron likes to use, but talk is cheap and sound bites are probably no longer enough. Because as each day brings yet more terrible headlines for Gordon Brown, it becomes increasingly likely that the Tories will be in power by next summer. So just how much do we know about their economic game plan? How would they handle the recession or the banking crisis? And how would they put public finances in better shape? Well, Dan, you talk to business leaders. Are they preparing for a Cameron administration? Do they know what that means? Uh, they don't know what it means, but they, they'd like to. I, I was, went out and did quite a lot of lunching after the budget and kept asking um, business people what they thought of the budget. And none of them seemed to care very much. And it was only after a while that the penny dropped. And none of them thought that none, it, then the stuff was going to last. And um, they, one of them had just come back from seeing Ken Clark the night before. And he, he wasn't a natural Tory, this particular businessman. But he, he did feel that that was where the action was. And I think the air of intrigue is there as well because the Tories are playing their cards very close to their chest particularly on business issues that that coyness has actually got everybody kind of um, you know curious Niels what about investors are they expecting big changes from the boys in blue no, I don't think so. I think investors at the moment have barely turned their their, their mind to the, the prospect of uh, uh, Tory government. I think they are uh, obsessed by the things that they've been obsessed by for the past six months, which is the, the, the deficit, the borrowing requirement. The green shoots, whether they're there or not, I think politics and uh, comes quite a long way down their list of priorities at the moment. Well, Heather, we're always told that business people hate uncertainty, but here we are with a very uncertain economic outlook, uncharted territory as far as guilt issuance goes, and yet we don't really know, do we, where George Osborne and David Cameron stand on all of this? Well, they've well, they've made taken one very striking position, which was to oppose any increase in fiscal stimulus on the government's part, any extra public spending, um, which... 
doesn't necessarily make a huge sense in economic terms because the size of any fiscal stimulus compared to the, the total size of the budget deficit is actually quite small, as the IFS's calculations show. But it has a really appealing kind of logic to voters who think, well, look, if I'm, if I'm in terrible debt, I shouldn't spend any more money to get myself out of it. So that one of their key positions has been negative. I think in positive terms, we have much less sense of, of, of what they would do. And that's odd because 30 years ago, Thatcher entered the number 10 and she was all about supply side, cutting taxes, liberalising markets. I mean, to what extent do you think Cameron is in her shadow or to what extent is he still the karaoke Tony Blair? I don't think he's in her shadow, but I think we the fact is the economic situation and the size of the deficits is, is so extraordinary at the moment that it would be unrealistic and, and, you know, a bit false to suggest that you could take a particularly radical position from here when your priority is really going to have to be getting those deficits down, whatever um, political stripe you are. You know, it, it's how hard can you cut and how soon? And that Labour will be facing that exact same problem, and, I think. And I think that's the problem for the for Labour at the moment is the timing could be the, the, the perfect storm in that what would be really sad for Gordon Brown is if the economy is just beginning to recover by the time the election is, is held, but the public finances are mm. still shocking. And so actually the Tory narrative of shrinking the state um, chimes with the economics as well. The, you know, a few months ago when they were saying, you know, we need to shrink the state and we, we don't want to spend lots of money on a stimulus, it sounded really, really hollow. But in, in nine, 12 months' time, if the economy is looking a little bit more robust, actually that could be perfect timing for that kind of message. Well, Niels, I mean, we talk about Thatcher, but there was a very prominent figure in Thatcher's cabinet, Michael Hesitine, who used to talk about intervening for breakfast, for lunch, for the evening news. I mean, we've got Fiat at the moment stalking Europe and talking about what they would do in Germany or the UK. Mm. Do we know what the Conservatives would do? You know, do they have any kind of industrial policy at all? I, I, I mean, the, the, I, I think this is the trouble with the Tories. I mean, and you, you struggle to see how this debate is going to get going about what public services are going to be cut. There is no no uh, mileage for the uh, Conservatives in, in provoking that debate and bringing forward ideas because they will be portrayed uh, as the cutting Conservatives. On the other hand, what is Labour going to say? It's not in their interest to, to talk up cuts before the election. So the Lib Dems sort of crying in the wilderness for a grown-up debate about which public services we can afford and which we can't. Um, they're absolutely right to call for the debate, and they, they, they have absolutely no chance of seeing such a debate take place, I think. Well, Heather, that's a bread-and-butter stuff, but one of the oddities of Tory politics, Tory economics, is they, they're very good on big-picture stuff. They like to do big speeches, set-piece set speeches, where they talk about Hyman Minsky rather than Milton Friedman. They talk about behavioural economics. Mm. You know, they're very good on theory, but they're not very good on bread-and-butter. What's, what's going on there? Well, isn't that the nature of being an opposition party? I mean, I suspect that... You know, there's little point in them gainsaying every tiny little decision uh, at this point because, you know, like a bit like Labour before 97, we all felt we didn't have a, that strong a sense. You know, we got great speeches, great oratory from Tony Blair. We didn't necessarily know what he would do on each small issue. There's, there's very little to be gained, it seems to me, from the Tories from doing anything other at this stage than, you know, criticising in a very broad brush way what... what um, Gordon Brown and Alistair Darling are doing and trying to look like a more convincing team to see us through this this sort of crisis period. Dan, in all your well-researched lunches, I mean, <laughs> what, what are the specifics that business are looking for from Tories? Well, I think they want to know what the Tories would do on industrial policy. I think that's the really interesting question is we're going to face big question marks over the future of Jaguar Land Rover. We've got uh, an interesting split emerging over things like backing for um, the third runway at Heathrow, where you've seen a group of businessmen in the last couple of days come out and, and, and back the Tory position against Heathrow expansion on environmental grounds, which is 
an interesting sort of realignment. And I think these type of big infrastructure decisions, these type of big questions about which industries to bail out or not, are going to become really acute over the next 12 months, because actually more companies are going to get into trouble, even if the underlying economy begins to pick up, we're still going to have these um, big spending decisions um, out of Mandelson's department. And which way Ken Clark jumps is what people really want to see. Is he Heseltinian, to use Mandelson's return of that phrase? Or or, or is he more of a sort of Thatcherite when it comes to sort of, um, you know, letting these, the, the sort of the uh, creative destruction run its course. There have been some signs on that, I think. I think it was very interesting that George Osborne gave a speech recently talking about the size of banks and fears that banks had got too large, That's which right. was taken as a heavy hint that, you know, bank of the size of, of RBS and also the merger between Lloyds and HBOS, the, the emergency merger, might be broken up by Tories, which is, you know, a, a clear sign that they're not taking the kind of economically liberal, laissez-faire approach that we might have seen once. OK, but 79, Thatcher enters power. 81, Geoffrey Howard unleashes that scorched earth mm. budget. 2009, we've just had our big public spending mountain uh, announced. 2011, what could we be looking at? I mean, is it the case that in the, the economic circumstances will shape the Tories more than the Tories will shape the economic circumstances? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think it depends what the path of the economy is looking like, whether the public finances look like being as bad as they are at present. And if they do, you know, it's, it's really tinkering around the edges, I think, other than where do you cut, how hard, how fast? Well, that's the. De- <laughs> Sorry, yes. Thanks for that. Well, that's the view from Guardian Towers. But what do we know? Why don't you post your comment on our blog at guardian.co.uk/slash/the-business? Well, the shadowed recession hangs over nearly everything, but not the stock market. It seems where all might be about to change. Before the bank holiday, the FTSE closed at four thousand two hundred forty-three points, the highest it's been for almost three months. That's led some fund managers to proclaim that the dog days of last autumn are finally behind us. So have things really turned around? Niels, you're our markets man and you've written a piece about this for our paper, which I thought struck a very sober note of cautious optimism. What is the optimist case here? One important thing has happened since uh, last autumn, it's actually happened since January. If if you think back to January, there were fears that... um, Mass nationalisation of banks was back on the agenda. We saw Royal Bank of Scotland's share price down to, I think, 11p it hit. Barclays was down at 50p. And the thought then was that the losses in the system would prove so overwhelming that that governments would have to take even more radical action. Also remember that the our own UK government when it launched its, uh, its, its sort of bailout part two, botched the presentation dreadfully. It looked like uh, they didn't know that w- what they were doing. It looked like creeping nationalisation. In fact, it was something, it was a better plan than was given credit at the time. I mean, wh- what has happened since then? Uh, it's now quite clear that governments do not want to nationalise banks, and the markets now believe that. Um, they've also written insurance against catastrophic losses in some of those banks. The second thing that's happened is that um, the banks who have survived are now having a party. Um, they are fuelled with um, cheap money from central banks and they are under no obligation to pass on these rates to, their, to, to borrowers. So the lending margin of the banks have improved significantly. Yes, you can see the losses coming down the train and the recession will create even more of those. But what you can also see is banks, for the first time in about a year actually, generating capital and improving their buffers 
by their own means. I mean, this free lunch that they're getting is totally undeserved, uh, of course. Coining um, it. They're coining it. Um, but um, what it does do is take off the table the risk of financial Armageddon, the risk of a breakdown in the, in the banking system, and, and, and you know, that very big risk has been taken away. So I think investors are pricing that into the market. You can see the, the, the sort of spectacular results with, with Barclays up from 50p to close to 300p on its share price. Um, and, you know, the theory, either, either Barclays was going bust or if it's saved, um, it's going to make quite a lot of money. So all that talk about nationalisation of banks, that's all gone away. And in fact, what's happened is that the bankers who we all hate, yeah. they're actually getting a big wad of taxpayer money to build up their margins again. Yeah, it's, we're, we're, we're bailing them out in, in a hidden way, you, you might say. But Nils, that's outrageous, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is outrageous. Um, but it is what is happening, I would, I, I would suggest. I think in America, they're in a slightly different position because they've got uh, thousands and thousands of regional banks, not all of which you would think um, are, are survivors. The game over there looks slightly different. And you, you, we can see the, stre- the result of the stress test this week. But it does look as if uh, at least a few of the, uh, of the big banks will need more capital. So they are slightly behind us. But, um, you know, you've seen great, you know, f- good first quarter results from JP Morgan, uh, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo and so on. You know, the same phenomenon is happening over there. Clearly, one would be silly to uh, think that the, uh, the free lunch that I've described in the, that they're enjoying at the moment will last forever. You know, there are still risks. From the bank's point of view, they can see, they can see the, uh, the clouds clearing. And Dan, let's talk about the broader market. The Telegraph last week, we're talking about the mother of all rallies being about to start. I mean, I'm not sure what I think of the Telegraph's business coverage, but what do you think about that broad note of optimism? Well, I think the um, we've got to compare it with um, with what, how it felt only a few months ago. I mean, the rally is basically be, because people are pricing in the future. I mean, a few months ago, they were pricing in the end of humanity or the end of capitalism, certainly. And so what we're seeing now is a sort of a recognition that, yes, most big companies are probably going to see their way through this and most of the financial system will survive. But that's a long way from kind of a roaring bull market. And the fact that we may have seen the bottom in, in equity markets is not the same as saying, you know, suddenly everything is back to normal because we've still got companies sitting on a huge amount of debt that's going to need refinancing. As, as we've just been discussing, the banks have got the whip hand when it comes to that financing at the moment. There isn't the kind of competition that there was to sort of, I mean, you know, if only a couple of years ago, you, you, if you needed to borrow money as a company, you'd have 20 bankers queuing up your door offering to give it to you for virtually nothing. That's completely reversed. And that is going to have a sort of chilling effect on business. I think for some time to come. And Heather, when you look at the wider economic pitch, I mean, the the broader statistics show that we're no longer in free fall, but we're still falling, aren't we? We are. And I have some nervousness about, I'd hate to be the voice of pessimism again, but I do have some nervousness about the strength of this rally. I and mean, there's an enormous amount of stimulus that's been thrown at this economy, you know, very low interest rates, extra public spending, et cetera, et cetera, which you would absolutely expect to have some effect. And the very big depreciation in sterling that we've had as well really ought to help our exporters once global demand returns. But my worry about this is there's a little bit of a paradox at the heart of this, because if the banks are doing so well by driving up their margins, you know, that rather suggests there's a lot of people out there who are, are going to have quite a hard time, in co- including mortgage borrowers, including corporate borrowers. And that's not great for the economy in the longer term. So I, I have a slight anxiety, I think it's fair to say, that, that the markets have got a little bit ahead of themselves here and they're not being that consistent in, in you know, looking at the banks and saying, great, they're doing better. And assuming that means the world's a, a better place. And the other great risk here, Niels, is that all the stimulus that we've pumped into the economy 
what happens mm. once that stimulus starts to be clawed back, whether that's interest rate hikes mm. or sterling starting to rise again? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think one of the other things related to that that's, that's going on is that the nature of the risk that investors are looking at have changed. The odds have changed. I mean, before three months ago, six months ago, the big fear was deflation. I think with the amount of monetary stimulus there's been, people are now worrying about more inflation. About, about inflation. Yeah. And if you're more worried about inflation, one of the things you might do is, is to buy shares because traditionally they have been a, a hedge against uh, inflation. So People don't know really know which target or which which enemy they're fighting, but they you know they're having to cover their positions and think about the threat of inflation again, and that is leading some people to buy to buy stocks. So it's a slightly technical aspect to to all this, but I think Heather is right. In the end, you know, economic fundamentals do assert themselves. You know, whether this is just sort of the market has just clumbered back to a sort of par level is probably you know that maybe that's where we are, and really. You know, in the end, we have to see what what uh, earnings companies report over the next year, and that will be to a great degree be determined by you know the wider economy and the global trade, etc. Okay, we'll leave that there, and you can read Niels's piece in the markets on our website, where you can also find a link to daily commentary and analysis on the movers and shakers in the global markets. Head to guardian.co.uk/business. And we're going to be terribly British for our final discussion this week and talk about, yes, you guessed it, the weather. Those nice people at the Met Office have predicted a blazing hot summer here in the UK. All well and good, but will the climate on our high streets be just as promising? Dan, did you manage to crack out the barbecue over the weekend? I thought about it. I came as close as sort of seeing if we had any charcoal and then and the clouds came over and it got a bit cold. But um, I think if you've got green shoots, to, to, to follow the metaphor through, if you've got green shoots, what you need is a, is a bit of sunshine. And it's amazing what summer weather does for British spending habits. You know, uh, long, hot weekends um, gets people down the supermarket buying barbecues, buying more food, buying more expensive food. It gets people out and about at big events. I mean, we've just seen results this week from gardening companies as well. And, and they're saying because a lot of people are staying at home this year, they're not going away on holiday. Actually, the weather is even more of a swing factor in things like spending on gardening, spending on, on, on going out. And um, so, you know, I don't believe a word the weather forecasters tell us. They're probably even more unreliable than us business forecasters. But I do think that if we do have a hot summer, it could come at just the right time. You know, behind all this is the exchange rate. I mean, you know, overheard conversations, mm. conversations with friends. Everybody's talking about, isn't Europe expensive? Anybody coming back from a skiing holiday has come back going, God, why was I paying, you know, five pound for a uh, for a small beer in some French uh, skiing resort? People, you know, people are noticing the weakness of the pound, the strength of the euro, and are thinking about staying at home this summer. And I think, you, you know, that that's the big factor, bigger bigger than the weather. So Heather, could we be getting our first year of credit crunch holidays? Yeah, I mean, the, the economists call it import substitution. In, in the, you know, in, instead of buying something from abroad, because whatever you buy from abroad now looks expensive, including a holiday out of the country, you know, a lot of people will presumably be going to caravan parks or camping or, you know, hotels in the UK rather than going abroad. And that should help to cushion a lot of British businesses against the fact that, in general, there's less money to go around. And Dan, I mean, the, Neil was just mentioned the exchange rate, but isn't it this summer that the weaker pounds meant to kick in on our high street in the form of higher prices? Isn't that Simon Wolfson and Next? Yeah, Next was quite interesting, and it did it did um, uh, raise the sort of the the dark side of of, of a falling pound, which mm-hmm. is its inflationary effect, and it makes you realise just how little we make here and how much is imported. And for retailers, uh, I mean DIY centres, I mean think about how much of that stuff is made in China, and and um, you know the clothing companies, everybody's rushing out to buy shorts. Well, they're all going to be made 
made in, you know, um, Vietnam, or, or, or they're not going to be they're not going benefiting from uh, textile make manufacturers here. So we are seeing that beginning to sort of filter through. Um, Heather will no doubt tell us um, the technical term, but it's all a balance, isn't it? The economy. I mean, this is how you would gradually want to see a recovery shape up. You're mm-hmm. going to see a little bit of pricing pressure come back, but it's that uh, it's the hopefully the the, the 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 weak pound will do its best for British exporters and what manufacturers we have got left who will start to see markets again. And and Heather, is a bit of hot weather going to make us forget all about the worst recession in decades? Well, it definitely helps, I think. And, and you know, particularly when combined with the fact that, as we've been talking about, there is a, a bit more of a positive mood out there. There was a, a, a period where I think consumers, you know, in the early part of this year, when we were literally thinking that banks could be going bust, you know, by the handful, you know, consumers picked up a lot of that feeling. And there was, you know, huge uncertainty. And, and you know, hopefully people are now feeling a little bit less uncertain about their jobs and, and, and the outlook. But I, I mean, I suspect people will still be, with house prices continuing to fall, which they are, people will still be fairly cautious, even when they're uh, at, out at the barbecue. Yeah. And I suspect they'll be going for those, uh, you know, the the bargain chops, possibly, <laughs> rather than the uh, rather than the steak on their barbie this year. Right. People are, there's this, there is definitely a phenomenon of people being bored about being depressed and they've decided to, <laughs> to, they've decided to cheer up a bit. That's, you know, great. You know, you'd expect that. I mean, I think the real test comes, can people actually afford to lift their spirits by spending? And, you know, there's however, how many more unemployed are we expecting another million or so before yeah. this recession is yeah. over? You know, there's quite a lot of bad news coming down the, tra- down the train. So it's one mm-hmm. thing to, to try and look optimistically upon events. It's quite another when the sort of facts arrive in your face. It's all about the cheap treats, I think. (laughs) Lollies at the ice cream van and, uh, you know, things that don't cost very much. Back to the old days. Absolutely. (laughs) Simple pleasures, yeah. Handkerchiefs on heads, you know. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's us done for another week. Remember that if you want to have your say on any of the topics, post your comment on our blog at guardian.co.uk slash the business. Thank you to my highly fragrant panel, Dan Roberts, Niels Prattley and Heather Stewart. Our producers, Ben Green. I'm Adit Chakraborty and that was The Business.